Hello and welcome. You're listening to episode number 54 of the podcast at the crossroads of the Safe Network. Right here at safecrossroads.net, I am your host, John Ferguson, the simpleton of Project Safe. (laughs) Boy, things are getting complicated. We need some simpletons here. Not everybody can be a geek. I'm certainly not. But, you know, this is important stuff. Acknowledgements to uh, the sponsor for this program, Made Safe, the company behind the development of the Safe Network, who's been working for, oh, 13, 14 years to put this project out to the world. Is it open source, beginning to end? Check it out at madesafe.net if you want to find out more about the company. And uh, if you have talents that uh, would be appropriate to the Made Safe Day, take a good look and hire the right fits. So this is really a cool episode. Um, honestly, I follow the Safe Network Forum uh, fairly closely, but the technical development and the speed of development of, of what's going forward with this network is getting over my head. <laughs> I mean, that that's what we have a simpleton for, is to try and grasp and see what's going on and communicate it. And I thought I had a pretty good idea, but we're getting into the, into the technical areas here where things are really starting to happen. And uh, so I haven't always known what to do. But uh, just under a month ago, a couple of articles appeared on Medium and on the Safe Network Forum written by uh, someone I didn't have great familiarity with. His name is Jim Colson, Collinson. Collinson. All right, Jim. Straighten yeah. me out. <laughs> Collinson. Collinson. All right. Uh, Jim uh, is the user experience, the UX and UI. Uh, all right. I'm going to go ahead and just introduce you, Jim. Introduce yourself for me. Welcome to the Crossroads. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, so this is exciting. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> the, yeah, I'm uh, a user experience designer um, at MadeSafe. Cool, cool. So, uh, well, I want to get into a little more about you in a moment, but I want to tell folks the significance of, of why I found what you wrote uh, so important and how I think we can really use your perspective to to give a lot of people, both uh, the hard technical people and those that are, you know, kind of see the potential or don't see the potential, help them see the potential from all levels uh, on the basis of, well, how do we start to interface, interface with uh, technology and specifically the safe network in this case? Jim, uh, first of all, let's go ahead and, uh, and since I've already kind of introduced you, let's, uh, let's find a bit about you. What, what background uh, do you come out of and what are you doing now? So, yeah, my, my background's in, actually in the music industry. Um, I started working in the industry, in the music industry, in about the early 2000s. I started a small record label and it became a slightly bigger record label and an artist management company. Um, and then I started working for a larger label and that label started a, a music download, high resolution music download service. Um, and then the music industry really is, is a lot about making products for people, both kind of audio, but also physical and predominantly now digital products. So this is where the user experience design starts to come in and, and developing these, these products for people who like music 
um, and then creating a whole download service that is for for end users and for musicians and for artists and other small labels as well. That's kind of where I got a lot of my experience in doing this kind of thing. And then from there, I also started working for a parent company who were making open source network connected music systems. Um, so doing design for, for that kind of thing as well. And that's how I first got this connection with, with made safe. We were, we were looking to tackle problems in the music industry of, um, of competitors and other actors trying to kind of control supply chains within the music industry through using using encryption and we kind of and, and kind of closed systems and walled gardens and we we didn't it's not wasn't within our kind of ethos and not what we we liked so we were looking for solutions to to build something bigger and better um f- than that and kind of this this is what drew me to to made safe as one of those solutions and then lo, lo and behold um, a year ago, I started working for for MadeSafe, building the Safe Network, which is going to be really important for the creative industry for music. But it is a, it's a kind of much bigger prize um, the, that's going to that's going to revolutionise the the internet as a whole. So, really, really excited to be working at uh, building the Safe Network. Fabulous, fabulous! You've laid out a bunch of different things that uh, will be fruitful to talk about. I think uh, first of all, it really brings to mind that. All of these various technologies, the intricacies, the you know the the bare metal, uh, how how it happens is all really really cool and very important. But it really is all about we're using it. We use it for what? Mm-hmm. What do we use it for? How you know? I don't know. I mean, I know a little about electricity, but if you asked me to wire a house, I would have really be challenged, and I probably would uh, you know I might not survive it. but um you know what what we're doing here is trying to interface this technology and make it you know have it increase our choices increase our options without having to get in uh and and that's been the challenge i've had all along talking about the safe network i got the vision of of the principles of where we're going so um just i i want to talk a little bit about the job and the orientation of someone working in user experience, you know, it seems self-explanatory, but it seems mm-hmm. to me that there's really a mindset and really, uh, I don't know that I would be, you know, how well adapted I would be to, to really setting up user interfaces and so forth. Cause you gotta, you've gotta be able to, to understand the technical end to a certain degree, but from a focus of, well, how people are going to use it. And, exactly, and it must be yeah. an interesting dance. It sounds, so let's, let's talk about that. What's your perspective on, on the approach of UI and, and yeah. what does it take to really do that well? Um, well, for a start, I mean, you, you declare yourself the simpleton of safe and I don't know whether this is the, this is the first time maybe you've, you've interviewed a fellow simpleton, <laughs> but I think, I, I think, I do think that's important to, as a, as a user experience designer, um, and perhaps I can elaborate a little bit more about what we mean by user experience design, but um, fundamentally it's it's about being able to assimilate the user and being able to understand and empathize with a human who is going to use the system that you're designing and and build it to cater to their their needs and their goals. People who, um, I've got to interject, people who may not understand the general conventions of, oh, well, when you do that, you just go up to the address bar and enter whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, what's an address bar? Where is it? What does that mean? 
yeah th those things are, can be daunting if you don't have guidance yeah yeah and and actually you know we're building an autonomous network in order to give autonomy back to people so what we're doing is in, in user experience design is the bridge between the machine or the machines and the human it's the interface it's the really critical bit but also interestingly it's entirely unimportant by itself because people aren't they don't wake up in the morning and think i am going to use the safe network today i am going to internet those internets you know they <laughs> right. they um they they want to create things they want to achieve their goals they want to do things and that are not really related to the technology it might be like um i want to listen to an album or i want to help organize a surprise party or i want to keep all my family's photographs safe these are the kind of these are the goals and the safe network is just going to be something that enables those things so that's what we're doing is we're kind of we're, we're enabling people to do stuff well and i and i think that just to speak even more generally that i, I really kind of want to probe aside from the safe network what are the quality i mean i think you've you've listed it. it does take a simpleton's approach to a certain degree and that's why i've been able to fill a niche because i i, I it's actually remarkable how baffled i get about some things uh simple things that teenagers in this day and age like well duh that's like swimming you know they don't know what they don't realize that there's mm. there's water and i'm going but it's wet uh, <laughs> um so I, I'm I'm sure that plays in, but in order to do that, you have to have a, a grasp of the functionality underneath, and I think that is why your your perspective is so compelling. Your articles, which I will link in the show notes, they're uh, about let's see, designing the new internet safe network UX roadmap uh, was the title of the first one, and I will link those. I found them very compelling because you seem to have a very good grasp of the functionality. To a point, uh, and then you have to you have to feed back and forth to those people who have a grasp of the nuts and bolts, and those are two different experiences. Uh, so I guess we've covered that. Anything else you you think uh, should be highlighted before we move on to getting down the nuts and bolts of the safe network? Yeah, well, maybe just briefly, I'll I'll kind of explain what we mean by user experience design because often the immediate thing that jumps into people's minds when we talk about ux design or ui design is the kind of the very top layer the the kind of pretty sheen that goes over the top of the interfaces we use and how what they look like visually and what they feel like to use and intuitively and really it being able to intuitively find what it is you need to do because yeah. it, it makes sense to you when you look at it yeah yeah really that's incredibly important but that's only just a very that's one layer of of the whole pie which is user experience so it's kind of if we think about it in layers it's like the underlying layer at the bottom of it all the, the foundation of it is the user needs and what a human is trying to do and what they want to what they want to accomplish and then kind of on top of that, we've got a sort of functional spec, a, a feature set that the system requires in order to meet to meet those needs. Um, and then on top of that, we've got interaction design, which is a sort of a flow of a way someone would um, work with the architecture of that system to enable them to complete those tasks. And then you've got interface design, the sort of structure of it, where, where buttons go, 
how I'm going to actually literally interact with the functionality. And then the kind of visual design, the look and feel is the very last bit that you that ties it all together. So that whole thing is what we would sort of term user experience design. Um, but, but even the term, in it, term itself is slightly misleading because you can't really design you can't really design a user experience. You just hope that you can influence someone's experience of their interaction with a computer kind of positively, you know. But this all gets bundled in this term UX, and oh, sure. and it's just good to remind to remind ourselves kind of what what that thing is. No, and that that really opens the the, the discussion then for the broader thing of. Uh, <laughs> The user experience or the user interface you're designing depends also on the fundamental capabilities of the underlying technology and the biases that are built into the technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like right now, we have a dependence on servers, and so we have massive centralization. And uh, if you wanted to, you know, if you want to make an app popular, you have to provide all sorts of server interfaces and, you know, and on all this. And then you've got security issues and you've got privacy mm-hmm. issues that are built in just by the basic yeah. technology. And so that bridges us into why, um, it, it, yeah, this I think it bridges us into kind of following along with the structure of the art, the first article you wrote. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Let's get into the unique capabilities, both theoretical and practical of where we are now in relationship to accomplishing those things, what the vision is mm-hmm. uh, for the safe network, what it theoretically enables and what's actually uh, being manifested in the, uh, in the development on the technical end. Cause you're in mm-hmm. you're, you're having to do that dance. Yeah. Let's talk about that because we're talking about a whole really different kind of architecture that has a lot of capabilities, but a lot of things that are not uh, we're not used to. So, the the play back and forth between the the programmers and the technical end, the people who under understand the the nuts and bolts, and your end, which is the well, how does that manifest? Uh, how does that play back and forth as the the process develops? Because and and where would you kind of say we're at in that? And I want to save the details on that for the later where your other article goes in. All right, where are we? But let's touch on yeah. that briefly. Yeah, sure. I mean it's um it's a relationship that goes that goes both ways in terms of often you as a as a designer you're given a set of constraints and a set of capabilities of of the the kind of palette that you have to work with of of the way a system might work and what you can build on top of it. But the the safe network is so broad and so big and so new and still being developed that it's kind of a two it's a two way street in that these capabilities are are there and being built and we can build things on top of them as user experience designer, but we can also help inform the design of the underlying network and how it might work, particularly the the, the front end, through thinking about what those user needs are and understanding what users might require. But also the interesting thing is that we are we're building this mega platform that will be used for a whole range of different things many of which we can't even conceive of yet. Um, so we are at the place where we need to build a kind of core, um, a core experience and a core set of tools to, to set that thing going, set that th- this amazing platform out there and get people developing amazing apps on top of it and, and get people using it. So it helps to understand what users might need and what, what they're trying to achieve 
But then it also helps to kind of step back a little bit and just have a bit of an imagine and a bit of a, a dream about what the capabilities of this thing could could enable. And then somewhere in the middle of all those is what we design in our kind of first uh, suite of interfaces. That reminds me of some of the, the discussions I've seen recently on the forum regarding leaving certain channels open like header data functionality that may or may not be used right now, but what the projected yeah. possibilities are. And, uh, just, I mean, it really is, is very interesting. I mean, it's difficult for me to get, you know, fully grasped, but I see, I see the thought and care that's going into it. So the first area you talk about in terms of the importance of what we're doing, the foundational uh, functionality of the safe network is the perpetual web. Lay that out because we have a, a, a range of people listening to this from mm-hmm. people who already you know have a pretty good idea of what the safe network is about to hopefully people who are coming along going, what is this all about? Maybe this episode will help. Let's lay out an idea of, well, what are we talking about with this perpetual web and why is yeah. that possible and how yeah. do we interface with it? So as I mentioned there, the safe network itself is so uh, is so extraordinarily huge and the things it's going to enable are so um, there's so many facets to it, um, and there's so many features that are going to be so useful and helpful and exciting for humanity that it's kind of quite difficult to unpack that all. And you know, I I struggle <laughs> with thing all in my head. So even designing for this thing and building these features that we're all going to start using, it was really helpful for us to break them this down into kind of manageable chunks and manageable milestones. So we can work on a little, a smaller, a subset of features, and then people can start playing with it and understanding how it's going to affect them and what they could make with it and how they're going to interact with it. So the the first slice, it's not necessarily the foundation; it's just one slice of what this thing can do. Um, we've yeah, I, I, I'm going to chime in. That's really important to realize that it's kind of like it's not like well, there's this and then there's this because these things are interactive. Uh, yeah. they they affect each other and that's the yeah that's what makes it hard to immediately wrap your head around because it's a it's it's a pretty interactive vision but one one really foundational i know that from the beginning david irvine had had the the conception of this perpetual you know persistence yeah. of data uh, i think you in your article you refer to it as uh, internet internet archive on steroids so let's yeah. let's talk about that. <laughs> so yeah, that's a pretty reasonable sum- summary of what the perpetual web will enable. And when when we're talking about this, we're talking about public data. By the way, this is data that people have chosen to publish on the network, like a like a website. Um, it's not we're not talking about private data that you want to keep private to yourself or just share amongst a few people. We're talking about um, publicly available data here. Okay. And, um, on the safe network, all of that public data will be perpetual. It will it will last forever, and that's useful because it's if you think about the network as a, a permanent digital archive, it's all of humanity's data and it's available to all of humanity. So, because of the the encrypted nature of the network and um, all that stuff you've covered with other people about how it works, um, it will this information will be available to anyone. And it should rightly be available forever. 
And to, to some extent, this kind of happens on the internet a little bit, but not really. And it, we have this amazing thing called the Internet Archive, which takes snapshots, little photographs of websites um, if they've been uh, highlighted um, and selected for that for that process. So it's not complete, but it's taking all these snapshots. So, and there is also this adage, isn't there, that one when you put something into the internet, you have to kind of assume it's there forever, except we can't quite guarantee that. So it's, we're in this weird halfway house where sometimes a big corporation, uh, like MySpace, for example, they just lose all this data and all this, all this music is gone, including lots of my music is all just gone because. It's just not being maintained or accessible anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So what a shame that is, but also what a shame that it's not just built into the, the web by default that, there wasn't a way of doing that. And that's what the safe network enables. So yeah. And as you uh, said, as you said, the getting into the weeds as to how and why that's for a number of other, <laughs> yeah. uh, if anybody doubts that that's possible or that actually the basic functionality of that is already functionally in place, or at least once the, you know, so that network, when it launches, it'll be there. Uh, that's yeah. for other things, but yeah, there's. But I tell you, th- this topic is tempting because there's so many different directions we could go on. We could talk for six or seven hours, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and, still, and then to uh, be honest, begin to cover it. The persistence of data and a kind of history of data and of sites. That's also just one aspect of the perpetual web as well. There's there's other aspects which are incredibly exciting, which is uh, things like linked data, and what that will mean when um, when information and identities and uh, Data isn't kind of siloed in apps or in domains or services anymore, but it's it's kind of free to span the entire network. There's some really cool stuff that's kind of come out of that. That's pretty exciting too. But again, that's probably a whole nother. Well, I've, another I've done one or two podcasts that cover aspects of that, and yeah, that's linked data and and even other very closely related ideas that are kind of inherent in the mm-hmm. safe network. The linked data doesn't have to be the the functionality of that doesn't have to be done just within that linked data silo it, it's a there's a basic functionality for doing similar things natively in the network mm-hmm. good you mentioned public data but i think it's important to remember that private data is also perpetuated uh or, or for the individual yeah of course yeah anything you upload to to the network will be there for you whenever you need it. It's not going away. But if it's private to you, um, you could choose to re- remove that if you wanted. But it's um, or you can you can edit it, but you can be assured that you up you up you pay you know you pay a small amount of safe coin to upload a bit of data once, and it is there for you to access forever. Right, that's huge. That's huge. And we you, you're right. We do cover many other things there. So. Um, Let's move on to the next chunk here, private communications. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a neat little section. Tell us about uh, about how your views on that in regards to the user. Oh, you know what? I'm not sure that we covered this in terms of uh, – let's step back here to the perpetual web. How does that affect the user interface and user experience uh, from your perspective and designing for that as opposed to somebody doing different apps and so forth. We, we kind of glanced on it, but let's highlight that point. Um, uh, I mean, in terms of what we design, we, it, it means we have to think slightly differently about how, how data works and um, 
there's a lot of thinking going on about around that, around that, and even even just how we can start small and we can think about static websites. And you know, if you're visiting a small website, you'll be able to see, or any website, you'll be able to bring up a history of that website, and you'll be able to see all the edits that have been made to that site over time, and kind of roll back through that site as it existed from from version one right through to the current one you see in front of you. So that's going to be something that's going to be really cool and. You know, people have got a flavor of that with Internet Archive, but this is this is automatic now on, on the network. Um, so that's something pretty cool. But then the other side of it as well, if you are creating websites, if you're a web author, there are no servers on this thing. So there's nothing to configure, and it will be as easy as uh, clicking a button in the browser. If you can type an address in the browser and you can hit an edit button, you can just start adding some basic HTML and have that site published immediately or edited immediately no more faffing about going to you know GoDaddy or whoever to get a domain and configure a server and all of this it'll be it'll be very straightforward and very quick and that small site that you pop will be available for everyone everywhere forever so that's pretty cool. yeah and that that includes any any immutable data that that your site links to you can count on that data continuing to be there whereas with current sites, you know, you, you might link to some data that goes away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, exactly. It, you know, I mean, and there's different a- aspects when you link to immutable, I mean, to immutable data, then you might get some changes and so forth. But even those things persist if they're public. Yep. Yep. Sure. Well, cool. Let's move on to private communications because we can <laughs> make this a very, very long, uh, long, <laughs> longer than is easily consumable. Uh, Okay, so private communications. Tell us about how that, how that's different, how that functions within the realm of the safe network, and how it affects user interface and, and user experience. So obviously, it's it, the name of this milestone kind of encapsulates the main part of this thing is private communications that are secure, unsnoopable. And there's no reliance on any of these centralized providers like like Facebook or Google or anyone like that. So if you want to have one-to-one, one-to-many um, communications, you can do that completely, completely privately and securely. That's kind of quite easy to understand and to conceptualize. It's like as an alternative to many of the messaging apps or email. And it will be, you know, th- this in itself would could be considered a killer app um, of the of the network. But there's way more cool things than that, that having this serverless, amazing new internet with linked data, what, what it enables. So you're provided with a set of tools to communicate with multiple identities, be that kind of pseudonymous or your real identity or anonymous. And, you know, this, this will be network wide as well. So the really cool thing about, about linked data is that I will be able to move from one kind of interface or one set of communications on one site seamlessly to another app and continuous the same conversation in a, in a different place. Or I might have lots of little conversations going on like I have at the moment on the net sprinkled around the place on different sites and messaging boards and everything. But I could have by default a feed of those things in one central location I get to choose the interface that I want to use to send my communication. And then the person at the other end gets to choose 
the context and the interface that's going to that's going to suit them because we've got this kind of this network wide uh, communications tools and, and linked data. So it's kind of it's quite difficult what that might be like to inhabit that world. But I think really people are going to cherish this linked data, this portable data when they can use it um, and when they can mash up all these different services to suit themselves. I think it's going to be really amazing. Yeah, I was about to say, oh, yeah, there's, then there's this other aspect of that. But that's the next section, the next step in your, uh, in your progression of your article, which is take control of your data. Because mm-hmm. that really interfaces with what you're talking about, of how you communicate on these different apps. But if you, if you own or have control of your data, then you're not siloed. You created a whole thing on Facebook and you say, well, forget Facebook. I'm going to go over here to this other app. Well, you can't do that now because Facebook essentially at least co-owns your data. They have it. They can they can restrict. Yeah. You can't just port it over and say, I'm done with Facebook because I don't like the way they're interfacing. Um, mm-hmm. But if you leave, you can't then continue to communicate with people on Facebook the way you want. Yeah. So yeah. that that interfaces between the, the, the private communications and the control of your data. Absolutely. So let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, so – Often this, like this term, having control of your data and portable data and giving people control of things is a bit of a buzzword of the moment. And it's a bit of marketing spin, really, that that companies like Facebook will use if they want to sound like they have reasonable future intentions about people's privacy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was was so diplomatically put. (laughs) Spoiler, they (laughs) did. So... uh, like even if even if facebook were to you know do the right thing and give people control of it if that was possible what might that even look like in the current context of the web if they just say okay here you go hit this button and you can download all your data you know terabytes of data that you have uploaded to facebook over time and what the hell are you going to do with it <laughs> you know like it's, you don't. You're not really going to have so much control over it, really. Um, you're not going to be able to just take it out and plug it into another thing. But with the safe network, when we actually give you control over your data, something incredibly remarkable will happen. And the way I can try and describe it to people, because what's happened with the with where the web has gone over the past, you know, ten years or so is we've really lost this understanding or the, the 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 term app has become something completely different using an app to most people now means logging on to someone's server logging into facebook where i put all this data and then i log back out when really it's kind of like we're going to be winding back the clock on things back to maybe you know the late 90s early 2000s where all of your personal data, all of your stuff just existed on your hard drive, on your computer, on your, on your desktop. And an app was a thing that I got on a floppy disk or a CD, and I just installed it on the computer, and I happily manipulated all that data, did what I want with it to suit me without really a care in the world um, by today's standards. And that's kind of what we're going to get on the safe network. You're going to have a little slice of the network 
which is yours, which is like your little hard drive on your computer, which is you have control over. And these apps, like these Facebook alternatives or WhatsApp or um, Photoshop or wherever, these cloud, in inverted commas, based systems and these apps are really just going to be like a bit of software that you privately use to manipulate your data in the way you, the way you see fit. If you don't like that anymore, you're just going to go and grab another one and slide it over the top of your data and carry on where you were. Or maybe even you're going to move between those apps seamlessly to suit the context or the bit of work you're involved in. And that's kind of what is going to be enabled. We're not just going to drop all this data on you and go, there you go, you've got it all, you've got all control, because that's that's not going to be very useful or, or usable. But You gave, uh, you gave a, a kind of a good image there of... You know, the old message boards and this, that, and the other. The, you know, you would communicate amongst specific servers, and you had it all had all your data really pretty much under your control. Uh, you shared what you wanted to share, and then people could have that. Mm-hmm. But the, the the hard thing for people to actually imagine, and this is the this is a key thing about the whole vision, the whole structure, is that it's the perpetual data, and essentially you have a worldwide shared hard drive that yeah. no, nobody knows where the data is, but it is solidly and dependably there yeah. because of the structure of the network and the way data is maintained amongst across mm-hmm. all the participants. Uh, they don't know what they've got. They just know that each node has its responsibilities for handling these, these fun- chunks and functions. But, you know, it's it's really hard for people to imagine. Yeah, because it's a, it's a change. It's an entire change of mental model. And it's going to take a little bit of time for one, for us as user experience designers to kind of find the right language to help people bridge that gap. And then also for people to just take some time to get their head around what this now, what this world will be like and how, how it's different from the from the clear net. So, yeah, you're right. It's like one massive hard drive and I own a slice of that hard drive and that's that's where all my, my data resides and when I want to use an app, I am not signing up for an app and putting data into that app. I am just using that application as a bit of software, as a window over the top of my data to help me manipulate that data and do what I want with it and that app isn't a corporation. It's not another person that can look at my data. It's only me that looks at my data. And that that's really cool. And the other thing that that forces is it forces people who develop apps and people who design apps and businesses that run in the safe network to put the utility of an application first and foremost in their process. So what it will enable, what it will do for people is the primary goal, not this weird secondary goal that we have at the moment where the primary goal is like actually how efficiently I can harvest people's data and how the real customer is actually an advertiser it's going to flip that round so that they will have to focus on making really useful awesome software and that means it's better for us we get we get better products that we can use and also designers just get to do something really amazing which is helping humans meet human needs brilliant segue possibility there i mean that that really that's perfect segue into the next section which is well why is it that 
that's the that's the model we have. Why is it that? Well, yeah, you want to give functioning functioning to the users so that we can be in a position to harvest data to maybe give them a better experience, but also so mm-hmm. that we can also collect revenue from those who want to reach those people and this, that, and the other. I, yeah. I understand the economics incentives that drive that model, and that steps us right into the new digital economy that is enabled by the safe network. Let's talk about that and get that vision because that really, uh, while SafeCoin and so forth, I I wrote the article on SafeCoin, the best thing to do is just forget about it because at that time, especially, it was all a buzz about, you know, cryptocurrency and that's the main, that's the main edge is like, isn't cryptocurrency amazing and remarkable and so they're going to have this new coin and it's all about the coin. It's really not. The, the, no, the, the safe coin is just a part of a whole different structure mm-hmm. of, of interaction on a digital level, which becomes an economy. But uh, anyway, let's, let's kind of go there. And how does that enable the, the other things we've been talking about, like uh, handling data differently and, and getting a new model for it? Yeah, well, th- the great thing about it is, the safe network will hopefully be the beginning of the end for surveillance capitalism. And that, I've, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at there in that talking about uh, having control of your data. We, we're not the product anymore. We, we just get to use these amazing new tools. And what, what the economy of the safe network enables is really like a circular economy in that if I contribute to the network, I am rewarded for it. And if I want to use the network, I obviously I don't pay for it with my private data or being surveilled or uh, having my data ripped off or being advertised to. I, I contribute in in Safecoin directly. So or, or indirectly. Uh, you, yes, I mean, you yeah. you you. That's a really important thing because most anybody will be able to contribute resources to the network and earn Safecoin, which they can use. Exactly. Uh, to, I mean, so yeah. that's a really important factor. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that, that's, that gets into many other ins and outs and lots of conversations yeah, sure, sure. And, the, and debates, which if you want to see lots and lots of debates on all of these subjects, go to the to safenetforum.org. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for yeah. So lessons. anyway, the, the, you know, it, that's that's what we're talking about, creating that circular economy. So I can I can provide resources uh, to the network in terms of a little bit of spare bandwidth or a spare hard drive space to help other enable this thing for other people, or I can contribute with my own creativity uh, in creating stuff that's useful to people and I'm rewarded for that. And then I get to use, uh, use the network and enjoy everything that everyone else is making. So that's what, how this thing is going to be powered and how it's going to, how it's going to run. And but even if we just looked at it from in terms of replacing some of the underpinnings of the existing internet and in that i include cryptocurrencies like bitcoin and, and the rest like they're they're so difficult to use right and there's still a bunch of these middlemen there which make it kind of scary and intimidating so the beauty of having the structure that we have for SafeCoin and for with linked data and with things like safe ids i'm sorry if this is getting a bit too well, uh, you, you, no, no, that's fine. You can hit on those things. People can investigate. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it should be as easily easy as if you can, say, send someone an email or if you're comfortable 
sending a message or using PayPal, you will be able to use Safecoin, which is uh, send someone some some Safecoin, receive a transaction, all privately and securely, and that's that's another part of this this new digital economy. And it it could have also have the possibility of really revolutionising um, other other aspects of you know e-commerce, for example. Um, it could be incredibly and powerful, and will be incredibly powerful for individual traders to make a, a site really quickly, be able to receive Safecoin really, really simply. And for me as a consumer, I can go on a, a shopping spree kind of network-wide with a single shopping basket in a really easy way, not have a million logins, click once to pay for it all. I keep my contact information on my shipping address safe and, you know, on, on the safe network in one location. It stays up to date. And everyone's happy. Like it, it really. You share it with those specific people who who have the business, and not broadly to lots of intermediaries, which exactly. then get harvested for other things. And, and it's not siloed, siloed in all these different places. And we cut. We you know we can cut out swathes of middlemen for traders and for consumers. And it's really, really exciting. That's great. So that kind of covers the ground of the first article is there anything you'd say in summation from what we've talked about uh, before we I, and we're going to just move on briefly to what you cover in the other one because we we don't have tons of time uh, yeah anything any kind of summation you'd say regarding uh, ux and how this interface oh i actually did want to ask you all of these mm-hmm. different things and i think this is more what i was getting at all of these different things we're talking about are capabilities and functionalities. Now, th- this is being designed. And yeah. So what do you, how would you, and I guess this does kind of bridge into the second article, where are we at in terms of actual deliverables? There are a lot of these aspects which are deliverable, except that it depends on the completion of the whole thing. Uh, yeah, where, sure. Where would you, you know, where would you say we are in terms of solid ground for you to stand on in in terms of designing UX, as opposed mm-hmm. to where it's still mushy or where you could say, hey, build it up over here or sink it down over there, because that'll be a better landscape for the user. Um, yeah. So I mean, this is one of the reasons why why we we've broken it down into the into these milestones because we can and they're kind of ring fit usefully ring fenced because we can work on a suite of features that you know they'll all go together and we won't have any of these things functioning um for end users in this until we've got the whole until we've got the whole thing ready to go but we need to go and make these things we need to iterate upon them we need to design them we need to decide um how they're going to interact together so we need to go and make stuff so that's why if we, we break them down into these chunks of features, we get to go away and design on top of mock networks. There is a kind of little functioning networks that are just local to your computer. So we can we can try the functionality and people can build on top of that before we have the complete network ready to go. Um, and we can also build prototypes and test them and interrogate them and see that we're going in the right direction. And we also get to lay out all of these features and, and kind of in a, in a fashion that allows us to work together kind of cross-discipline as the teams that are making the safe network. So we have to kind of start 
making decisions or we have to finish making decisions on on how certain aspects are going to work but really you can't you can't fully be sure of those decisions until these interfaces start hitting human eyes and human hands so um that's that's why we're doing this in in this way um and another approach would be to just go away and make all the raw function of the network and then wait till it's all done, relaunch it, and then go build on top of that. But that's definitely a riskier way to do things. You, you, you stand a chance of missing an awful lot of yeah. functionality or, or making it difficult to go back and tweak if yeah. you don't tweak it as you go based upon that. So I think that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where we're, where we're at. So we're, we're kind of deep into the design process in that first milestone for the perpetual web, um, and you, uh, you know, if you if you frequent the Safe Network forum or some of our other channels like Medium and um, uh, Twitter and things, you'll have seen some of the the first designs of those coming out. And I did a little screencast on how how those things are going to work. Um, so that's the that's where we're working at the moment. But they 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 all intermingle and they all span different things. So it's not like we're the bit that you can see and you can grasp and I can talk you through and you can click about, that's just the kind of very, the, you know, the latter stages of it. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and discussions and about how these things are going to be uh, sorted at a network level. And yeah, that's, that's always an ongoing conversation across all of these different milestones. Okay, good. So uh, just so we don't go too long, I want to, Sure. There's two things I want to to go into. One is give us a vision from a user a user's perspective, somebody who doesn't know much and just wants to log on. What's using the network going to be like? I mean, in terms of something that we can relate to and see the similarities and differences to how it is now. Okay. Um, what's the ease? What's the security? What's the flexibility? What's the the options in terms of maintaining privacy and anonymity if you want or proving who you are in mm-hmm. those cases uh, give us a give us a vision of well, I mean based upon not pie in the sky because and yeah. that's the other aspect of uh, I think people I got the vision for this early on after, after I dug in and I got I got a very very clear vision of where it was going the details I you know you know I'm I I'm finding out, but it's, it's all fulfilling that vision. But, you know, you can look back and say, well, that was all pie in the sky, but we're so much further along now. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's really, really solid, but uh, I don't want to go too much into that. I want first to just get your role out of, all right, what is it going to be like to use the safe network for somebody on their a laptop or on a, a mobile mm-hmm. device and uh, what's their flexibility is going to be? Yeah, so what I'm going to what I'll talk about now is kind of what people can probably expect around launch of the network or maybe slightly after launch, kind of early versions of the network. Um Good. and the best way because obviously this can go it will go on to become do magnificent amazing things and um you know right. people and th- those are great to talk about exactly. we should do that but let's talk yeah. about what we what, sure. what people can real, realistically envision in the foreseeable future. Sure. I mean. So um, 
probably the easiest way to think about it is if you imagine a really small operating system within an operating system. So you might open any computer and install a small um, software application, like a safe network app, and that will allow you to authenticate to the network and open up your own little space on the network. So the computer you're using will just be um, a shell, a tool to get you onto the network. And your digital world, your safe ecosystem, it's good to think of it as an ecosystem, will be will be available for any from any machine. So you could run any number of apps. That they could be just simple websites. In that case, you would use a safe network browser. Um, or they could be sort of native applications that you would you would install on your local machine um, that would utilize the safe network infrastructure. But you always know you've got that kind of gateway, that control over your access to the network, that if you log out of the network, all of that data is going to fold away safely into the network. And there won't be anything left on your local machine. So even with um, the native app might, the native program might stay on the computer, but all of the data populating it would be not. Will be on safe. It exactly. Would be stored back onto the to the anonymous network. Yeah. That's and then there might, yeah, there might be apps in the middle of that which might be kind of web apps, like rich dynamic websites or kind of sovereign web apps, feel like native applications, but are actually kind of web based things and. You know, there, there are lots of them out there, but your interaction with the network, you're not going to be logging into all these different apps and have accounts to remember. Your um, relationship is with the safe network, which is this autonomous thing with no third parties at all. So you create an account on the safe network and you connect to it and add your data, and your relationship is entirely between you and this autonomous network. and no one else sees this data and their credentials, and you don't. You have control about when something is published. That will be your decision to publish it and make it public, or share it with uh, another individual or a group of individuals. And under what identity you did that? The default will always be anonymous, uh, but there may be many circumstances where you you want to have um, a pseudonym or uh, an identity that is directly connected to you for communicating with people and you'll be able to have as many identities as you want, um, or different contexts, you know, be it professional or personal or um, different contexts that people are in. So, and you'll be able to, to use those different identities, but all through this single controllable portal through this, in this little ecosystem that will um, come to you when you need it. Well, that, I, I think a, a keynote way to look at that is, that people don't really appreciate the amount of choice and the amount of power that gives to individual users as opposed to what we're used to experiencing. (laughs) That's actually, when you get that vision, it starts to sink in and it actually changes so much uh, that it is hard to, I mean, that's a whole philosophical show that's why i have technology and choice as my other podcast because we talk about those kind of things mm-hmm. on a more philosophical base, basis usually but it, it's it's what appealed to me initially about the network i got that vision it's like the amount of 
control and power it gives to the individual, not necessarily over other individuals. It's, no, no. It's, it's empowering the individual. And when you empower everybody, you get a whole different thing than, okay, empowering centralized control. Cool. Sorry, I, boy, that, that, that hits my button there. I, well, I think I think you've given a you've given a good um, a good summation of that. Is there anything in close? Well, I guess we have to touch on it briefly. Um, how do you where do you feel we're at? Because this this has been I mean, people look at the project and they're very really impatient, and I understand mm-hmm. that when I started yeah. when I started in on this, I thought it was more mm-hmm. imminent. I got started my podcast and it was, oh my God, it's coming. We better talk about it now because it's going to knock it, you know, and, and I, I can't say that I'm, you know, not, you know, haven't felt some disappointment that it's not there, but as I watch the rich development of it, I'm, I'm not disappointed. I, but how do we deal with that and where are we kind of sitting and what can we anticipate? I'm not asking for, uh, okay, when, when, in your opinion, when is this going to launch? Whoa. (laughs) But where are we at in that process? And uh, we are de- we are definitely in the latter stages, um, and really accelerating accelerating quite rapidly. And it's um, it's particularly exciting to be involved in it. Um, I have to say, um, and it's not. I don't know. It, it, there are not enough hours in the day <laughs> to be able to keep up with the the speed of some of these guys that we're we're, um, we're working with. Um, so it is coming very very soon i i I don't know exactly when if i oh yes of course okay um i'm gonna chime in because uh, david irvine the founder and ceo and chief architect of this uh, this whole thing in response to your second uh, article uh his on the when it was posted on the forum he poor he posted a, a little video clip out of the untouchables but his comment was no messing around anymore it's on yeah it's on. That's it. So that gives some sense of of it, and and I'm not going to probe you for too much more. But but we are we're still in alpha two, but we're getting very close to launching the next uh, evolution. I don't know whether to call it alpha three. I think we're calling it Fleming, and then there's uh, another one, Maxwell. And these are these are not all waiting uh, to be embarked upon one to the next. There are aspects of no. all of these further. That are being put in place. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I should say that you know my 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 domain is very much on the front end and user experience. So um, and things like Fleming concern you know the entire stack beneath. So um, I'm not necessarily the person to ask specifically about that. But what I will say is the scope of Fleming and what Fleming is going to be is going to be darn on close to our complete network so um and the whole project right now has got a rocket rocket on it so we really are in that let's just get this thing done um point (laughs) so i think we're gonna we're gonna it seems like oh we've been in alpha two for so long these things but Uh we're actually just ready to it's ready to start taking off is basically i get the sense of that but you know i'm hey i'm impatient like anybody else but the the neat thing about all of this is i you i've known from the beginning that this was going to be done right this is not slapshot oh well let's throw something out there because the investors expect it and we got to start getting some revenue and blah 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 now this is the vision is to do it right so 
Absolutely. That's cool. Well, in closing, uh, is there anything you'd like to to highlight or point out or share or something we haven't talked about that uh, that you'd like folks to, to think about? Um, no, I'd say please just come in and share your thoughts and, and comment on the in the forum or wherever you wherever you find us. Um, it's always great to, to speak to you, you good people out there. And the other thing I would just say, kind of touching on the last point is, you might look at this roadmap, this user experience roadmap we've got and go, oh, heck, that's a lot of work. <laughs> and we're only just beginning. We're, we're not only just beginning, we're quite deep into it. And also, it's not like we're waiting all for all of these things to launch the network. They're all coming in parallel. Many of these features will come after or just after launch. So, um, Well, the other thing is so many of these things are interdependent. Exactly. So that you can't say it's done until so many other things are done. But as we start getting the duns on these things, they're gonna the 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 progress is gonna snowball. So okay, well that yeah. that's done, 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 done. Package, and we're gonna see a lot of forward progress. I think. Yeah, it's very exciting. Okay, well, good. So uh, I'm just gonna say to folks, thank you, and I'm gonna link in the show notes. Uh, these articles and the the roadmaps and anything else that I think seems to be relevant. <laughs> and it, please, if you are not familiar with uh, the Safe Network and this has intrigued you, go to safenetwork.tech. Uh, it's a great introduction. Visit with us at uh, safenetforum.org. Man, is there a lot of a different perspective and understandings you can get from that topics. It's, it's, it's an archive of, uh, of lots of discussions. And if you have questions, you're, you're welcome to chime in and say, Hey, this may be elementary, but I can't find it. Ask the questions. Uh, it's, it's the most, uh, most welcoming community I'm aware of. Uh, please feel free to join us at safenetforum.org. Uh, made safe. .net if you're interested in the company and you you think you might want to work there. You just want to find out who are these people. So shout out to David Irvine and, and the whole crew at Made Safe, including yourself, Jim. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed doing this. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take care.